This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Last week, we made our first visit to the California Botanic Garden in Claremont, California, to learn about their extensive conservation programs on behalf of the native flora of California. We spoke with Dr. Naomi Frega, director of those programs. This week, we dig down a little more deeply with Cheryl Berker, the Seed Conservation Program Manager for this seed bank of California flora. Cheryl has a degree in biology with a concentration in biodiversity, ecology, and conservation biology from California State University, Fullerton. She started in May of 2014 as a seed collector for the Bureau of Land Management's Seeds of Success program, and then worked in the California Botanica Gardens Restoration Nursery, growing native plants for restoration and mitigation projects. Cheryl has been managing the seed conservation program for the garden since August of 2016. I spoke with her a few months ago now from her home and garden in Southern California. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today. I am very excited to have you here. We've already spoken with Naomi Frega from uh, the, I keep wanting to say the RSB <laughs> GA, and that's not it. I'm, I'm still getting used to it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think in California, that name, the, you know, the Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden held such uh, cachet of importance. And I am really pleased that the name has changed so that the rest of the world will, uh, that aren't maybe familiar with it, will recognize it for what it is. And um, the knowledge and research that is held there, but it's still taking a little time to get used to. So tell listeners what your job title is and, and what you do, Cheryl. What, what is it you do? Yeah, so I am the Seed Conservation Program Manager here at California Botanic Garden. It's actually the largest seed bank dedicated to conserving California's native flora. So uh, my job, I get to go out in the wild and make seed collections of the rarest plants in California, bring those seeds back to the garden, process and store them in our seed bank. Because if you process and store seeds correctly, they can potentially live for hundreds of years in storage. You know, making those collections essentially an insurance policy against species extinction in the wild. You know, so when I'm not in the field collecting seeds, I'm back at the garden working with those seeds, curating the collection, managing the data, and conducting these little experiments trying to determine the best way to grow these plants from seeds. Um, it's, a, it's a very um, fulfilling job to have. I bet, I bet. The current holdings of the seed bank there are how many? We currently have over 5,400 collections representing over 2,200 taxa, um, plant taxa native to California. So we focus on California and the California Floristic Province, which also goes down into Baja and a little bit up into Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. And our, our overall goal is to seed bank every single species native to California, which is a, a huge 
goal to have. I mean, California is a biodiversity hotspot. There's over 6,500 native plant species or, mm. or taxa more accurately. And many of those, you know, all the, all the biodiversity is so threatened by human activity. So yeah. we have our, our job cut out for us, definitely. Mm-hmm. So when you use the word taxa, you are referring to a single species. So with with the word species, right, there can be um, multiple subspecies or varieties, and those are those are distinguishable dis- different plants. So there mm-hmm. are sixty five hundred different kinds of plants in California. We would call those taxa. That includes all of the mm-hmm. different subspecies and varieties. But probably oh, there's only three thousand species. You know, if you're not counting those varieties. So I usually try mm-hmm. to use the word taxa. Okay. So for, uh, let's say, for example, and we're talking naturally occurring taxa, not human cultivated cultivars. Is that correct? So so let's let me give an example. I'm thinking of my beautiful penstemon heterophyllus that's in bloom right now. And there are several uh, cultivars on the market that people would have run into like margarita bob. Yes. So in the seed bank, we actually do have accessions of those cultivated varieties. But our mm-hmm. our main focus is we're trying to um, conserve the genetic diversity that is naturally present in California. So those those true species and, and not the cultivars. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to dive into more of this kind of esoteric information that is so fun um, in a little bit. But first, I want you to share a little bit with me and listeners about you and your background, um, where you were born and raised, and who were the people and plants and places that grew you into a person that would become a seed bank director. Yeah. So I, I was born and raised in Southern California. And uh, growing up, my family would always take me camping. We, we did a lot of beach camping, um, but we'd also mm. spend a week every year camping at the same spot in the eastern Sierras. Um, mm-hmm. Outside of Mammoth, it's called Red's Meadow. Um, my father also you know, started me on backpacking in the Sierras from a young age. And even though we, we all sort of had the green blur, you know, where you aren't exactly <laughs> stopping to appreciate the diversity of plants around us. You know, my family and those early experiences, you know, certainly taught me to appreciate nature and also taught me or gave me the confidence to feel comfortable spending time in remote locations and, and with primitive camping, which is absolutely essential to the job that I have now. You know, when I was young and having that early exposure to nature and wilderness, it was still very much just recreation to me. You know, I had no idea that this sort of path could lead its way to a career, which I I think is probably pretty common. Um, um, And so it took me a while to to realize I wanted to pursue a career in botany. so yeah, it wasn't until college that I realized I really enjoyed those scientific subjects and I did have an aptitude for them. And so I, I went into college undeclared at Cal State Fullerton and wound up just taking a general biology course um, that had a lab component as part of my general education. Mm-hmm. And the master's student who was teaching the lab was really great. Um, when we started covering the ecology and plant science modules, I just really lit up and, you know, a light bulb went off and yeah. I knew that's what yeah. I want to study. 
Um, at the time, Cal State Fullerton didn't have a plant science major or emphasis. So my degree is in biology with a concentration in biodiversity, ecology, and conservation biology. Nice. For anybody listening to hear your enthusiasm right now, Cheryl, having talked about when that light bulb went off, I mean, that right there is fa- that's that's a spark for anybody listening. And that is just a wonderful thing in my mind. And, and you never um, know when it's going to come. Right. You know, I wasn't right. expecting at that moment to have that light bulb go off. But as soon as it did, I just... I just dove in and I just sort of felt all in and, and dedicated to this is it. This is going to yeah. be my life. Oh, that's so great. So, okay. So you're at Bullerton. You, you have this spark. When does it like become a spark for C? Does it ever become a, a spark specifically for this coolness of seeds? You know, the, the seed part didn't come until a little bit later. I wound up um, in college. I also got uh, very active in research. I joined a research lab and I was studying um, creosote bush, Laria tridentata, mm-hmm. in the Mojave mm-hmm. Desert. Um, I also joined the, um, I got a job at the greenhouse complex. And I just felt all in and just took any opportunity that was in front of me. I took all the plant classes they had to offer. And that's that's really where my, my love of plants blossomed. And I had these amazing professors, an amazing boss at the greenhouse. And um, it was my research advisor, actually, that first told me about California Botanic Garden, mm-hmm. which, again, at the time was called Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden. And, you know, my research advisor thought I would be a good fit here. You know, maybe I could look into a job here. And so I started looking into it and learning about, you know, the amazing conservation program we have here and the fact that we're just sort of this botanical hub in California. And I I just knew he was right. So I think the the love of plants developed into sort of a a love of California Botanic Garden, really wanting to work here. And after I graduated, Mm -hmm. I just stalked the website (laughs) and applied to whatever jobs came up. I actually first applied to a job here that I did not get. And I'm actually glad I didn't get it now because I don't think it would have been the best fit. I wound up getting hired at California Botanic Garden for uh, an internship um, with the Seeds of Success program. So Seeds of Success uh, we there's teams all over the United States, but it's a Bureau of Land Management run program where we go out and make these large seed collections of common native plants um, to build up material to be used in restoration projects on BLM land. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was supposed to be a 10 week internship. And now six years later, I'm still here. So I just worked my way up in the ranks at Uh, in the conservation program. So first um, on the Seeds of Success project, and that's where, you know, I learned how to make these seed collections and learned how interesting seeds are and how different they are. I wound up working then in the restoration nursery and in the seed bank, and now I'm the seed bank manager. And I think seeds are so cool and interesting. And so my my love and interest in seeds definitely came um, later on. Yeah. Okay. So what year did you graduate and um, how many years have you been there now? I graduated in 2014. Oh, wait. I graduated in 2013 and got a job at Rancho in 2014. And I've been here for six years. And how long have you been the program manager for the seed conservation program? I think we're going on, it's about three and a half years that I've been um, Mm -hmm. the seed bank manager here. 
So let's go back now to the history of the seed conservation program and tell listeners and me, you know, what the original impetus was for starting the seed bank and then perhaps how this focus has evolved over time as climate has changed, the human demographics in California, specifically Southern California, have really changed in that time. And, you know, has this shifted the overall program goals or timelines in which they would like to try and achieve those goals? Right. So seed collecting at the garden you know, began in the very early years just as a means to establish a source of propagules for planting at the garden. You know, seeds were collected in the wild, brought back to the garden, just in order to establish our living collections on the grounds. And it was a very active collection with seeds being used and replaced or completely expended, you know, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And when the garden first moved to Claremont, we actually used to be located in Santa Ana, hence the old name Rancho Santa Ana Botanic Garden. Um, But we moved to Claremont in the 50s, and that very active seed collection was originally stored just in these glass jars out on shelves in this very small stone building. I think the stone building actually used to be a restroom for an old golf course that used to be on site. (laughs) And that was was the seed bank. Um, That's great. And so it wasn't until the 80s that we started making these conservation seed collections. And so that is, you know, seed that's intended for long-term storage as a safety net against species extinction in the wild. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Cheryl Berker, Seed Conservation Program Manager at the California Botanic Garden. She's sharing with us more about her journey and work in seed collecting and saving of the California Floristic Province. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. I love how both Cheryl and Naomi last week were called as young college students to the passionate work they do in our world now. I love how they were guided and mentored on their paths by both humans and the plants and seeds themselves. When you're out in the field, people often refer to getting your eyes on, whether it's that moment in time when a person goes from seeing all plants as simply a blob of green, to actually seeing the individual lives, attributes, and beauties of these others who make our lives possible, or when you're on a hike to look for birds or butterflies or mushrooms, and once you see that first one on the trail, then your eyes are adjusted to how to see them, and then you can see that they are often everywhere, in numbers that were invisible to your eyes before you really saw that first one. Have you had an experience like that? If you have, you know just what I mean. And it's kind of magical. You go from not seeing to seeing very differently. The same is true for seed. Once you see one plant's seed form, you begin to see seed everywhere. And once you learn to identify a plant's seed form, you begin to know that plant more fully. 
It's a greater layer of not just seeing, but knowing another. And in more fully knowing this other, you also have greater understanding and real relationship with that other. And there's something about that philosophically that moves me. To see and recognize someone in their smallest and most essential form is beautiful and hopeful somehow. I see it as involving a profound faith beyond words that there is something tiny in each of us that with light, air, water, and sunshine can grow into something bright, mighty, and bold. And it can do this over and over again. See this in each other, and we really see the world differently, don't we? We're back now to our ongoing seed series and to our conversation with Cheryl Berker, Seed Conservation Program Manager at the California Botanic Garden. As we come back, Cheryl shares more about how the conservation seed collections really ramped up in the 1980s as the need for them became ever more urgent. Um, Because in the 80s is actually when the Center for Plant Conservation was established. Um, The Center for Plant Conservation is this national network of partners that are all collaboratively working to save imperiled plants of the United States. Um, And California Botanic Garden was a part of the establishment of the Center for Plant Conservation. So we were getting, you know, actively involved in this idea of conservation, of, um, of establishing ourselves as more of a conservation garden and increasing mm-hmm. our conservation collections. And okay. so that's when the seed program really started to, to take shape. Okay, where is the Center for Plant Conservation located it's it's currently located um, at the San Diego Zoo. Okay. Um, so it's here in California, which is really great. It used to be located elsewhere, and they've recently moved locations. And so the, the Center for Plant Conservation, there's annual meetings. We share resources. Nice. Um, there's constantly new research coming out about, you know, conservation methods. What are the best methods for mm-hmm. conserving these native plants? And so we're able to share those resources and sort of have a much easier way to communicate with each other. And with, there's also what we call actually the national collection. Essentially, all of our collections at our individual institutions mm-hmm. of these rare plants Mm -hmm. of the United States are actually considered now a single collection. It's the national collection. And so it's it's a a means of working towards this goal together. We're in this together. Nice. I like that. And so give us an idea of some of the other member organizations that are involved in that. Yeah. So there's institutions all over the United States, you know, from Hawaii, all the way to, um, you know, there's Denver Botanic Garden, Missouri Botanic Garden, um, these, these big institutions that have been doing this for a very long time. And now um, now we're able to, I mean, since the 80s, we've really been able to sort of collaborate on a more direct level. Um, and also actually within California, we even essentially have a subset of the Center for Plant Conservation that that we helped establish um, just in 2014. Mm-hmm. There's 
you know, I say we're the largest seed bank dedicated to conserving California native plants, but we're not the only institution working on this in California. So there's the San Diego Zoo, um, Santa Barbara Botanic Garden, um, uh, UC Santa Cruz, uh, the California Native Plant Society. And now we're we're all, um, we've formalized a collaborative here in California that we're calling the California Plant Rescue. And so now together we are sharing data, sharing resources, applying for funding together, um, and trying to work on this goal together of conserving California's native plants. Yeah. And, you know, I think for those of us who live in California listening, we have some understanding of just how big our state is and just how um, regionally important the biodiversity is so that when we use that term California native plant, somebody might just think there's this discrete set of plants that grow throughout the state. And our state is so huge and there are so many, uh, you know, uh, there's such biodiversity in the geology and geography and topography of where we live and the climates and the microclimates that, you know, to say that, I don't know, this Lewisia from the Klamath Range is a California native plant would make somebody down in the desert laugh or, you know, I mean, like not all plants grow everywhere. In fact, very few of them grow throughout the state. And so the importance of that collaboration is pretty powerful. And um, just out of curiosity, because I'm up in the north, uh, anything coming from the far north in that you know, collaboration? Is CSU Chico Herbarium or anybody up here involved? You know, the farthest north, I believe we have, is UC Davis. Yep, okay. Um, there are so many rare plants in, in you know, the far north. And right. it's very, very under-collected. So there's actually, you know, the Modoc Plateau. It's well, extremely di- yeah. diverse. And there's almost no collections from the Modoc Plateau. Interesting. So this very exciting thing that we're working on now with this California plant rescue, this collaborative group, we're actually going to, this year, we're going to start expeditions up to the Modoc Plateau that are collaborative. So multiple individuals from multiple institutions coming together and having these these expeditions and trying to make seed collections up in this very underrepresented area of California that there were previously hardly any um, conservation seed collections and it's certainly not for a lack of rare plants right no and it's oh it's a beautiful area the warner mountains and all of that whole region is just phenomenally beautiful so oh i'm excited to hear about that i will try and make sure to get information from you about that program and those expeditions in case anybody listening is interested in finding out how they might get involved yeah, I don't know that we're going to be able to have um, very much volunteer right. participation. Especially not this um, year. <laughs> especially not this year. We're actually, it's been changing the way that we are thinking about this expedition. We originally were planning on having a base camp where we're all staying together and then each taking vehicles out to different areas and coming back to base. And now we're thinking it's actually going to be a little bit more separated. Um, If we do camp together, we're going to be far apart and there's going to be maybe a little less communication because of the pandemic. We have to make sure that we're being safe and responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. 
let's get back to the seed bank and the and the collections that you are working on now. So you have twenty two hundred uh, different taxa represented in the collection um, through uh, something over five thousand actual collections. So you have duplicates of some of your collection, is what I'm understanding there. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. And and ideally. In the future, so after these goals, after we hit, you know, collecting all of the rare plants of California, mm-hmm. after we hit collecting all of the um, plants native to California, ideally we would have collections from all of the populations of rare plants. And so there gotcha. would be quite a few duplicates. Gotcha. And um, the because the genetic information in each of those, you know, disjunct populations might be hold something of, of interest in terms of resilience and survival and adaptation. Yes? Uh, yes, definitely. And especially in times of, you know, climate change and altering landscapes due to human use. I mean, some of these areas, maybe plants of a certain population might not be, you know, locally adapted to these areas anymore. And there might need to be a little bit more movement. So having as much possible genetic diversity captured for each of these um, mm-hmm. taxa uh, is is absolutely invaluable. So, and, and, of the over 6,500 spe- uh, taxa considered to be native plants of California, how many of them are seed-bearing? Are they all seed-bearing? They're not. Of course, they're, they're not because there are ferns not. and things like that. Right. Yes, they're not all seed-bearing. We actually do have some collections of fern spores. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this this other issue where not all species that are even seeding plants have seeds that can be stored by these conventional storage methods. There, there are what we call um, recalcitrant species <laughs> that produce. Yes, they're just they're just difficult. They're hard um, to get along with. They are like um, oaks, for example. Right. Are, they, they produce recalcitrant acorns, and they they can't withstand the drying process, um, and they typically just live like one year. And so we can't, we don't have any oak specimens, you know, seed collections in our seed bank. Um, there are other means of conserving them ex situ, meaning off-site, right? There's in-situ conservation where you're working to conserve plants within their native habitats. And then there's ex situ conservation where you're conserving those plants outside of their native habitats. And so the seed bank is an example of ex situ conservation. And there, there are other ways of conserving recalcitrant species ex situ, um, like you can use, you can like dry them down a little bit and then use like flash freezing, essentially use cryogenics mm-hmm. um, to, to conserve the actual um, seed material. Um, but what we do here at the garden, because we don't have um, a cryogenic program, is we actually just have uh, our living collection. So right. we have a few um, con- what we call conservation groves of rare oak species here at the garden that are high quality, genetically diverse collections from many, many parents that are outplanted and essentially serve as a backup population living here in Claremont. All right. I love that. So your sort of order of operations is to identify the rare plants, collect their seed if possible, um, and once you're you move down the ranks of the the various rare plant designations, then you will move to collecting all of the plants. And is there a way you is there a way you um, 
kind of triage that? Like, how do you decide? Um, you mean, I can understand with the rare plants because you go from the rarest to the, you know, the least pressured. And then what, what, how would you then decide where and how to begin collecting the non-rare? You know, we, we have a lot of um, common species stored in the seed bank. Typically what we'll do is while we're out collecting in a certain area, we'll sort of We'll look around, see what common species occur. I have a list just on my on my phone or on a tablet where I can check the seed list and see what we already have in the seed bank. And so we, we, we are actively making common seed collections just while we're out. Um, but it's definitely, there's less of a priority on it. And um, it's just sort of as we go, if we see something of interest. Um, every Every once in a while, I'll put together a short list for um, the, the field botanists who are going in the field um, to be aware of, hey, we don't have any of these species. And what I did last year, um, one of our priorities, I wanted to add new genera to the seed bank. So I made a just a short list of, um, of species within um, a, a genus that is not represented in the seed bank and just said, hey, if you guys see any of this, you know, you know, grab some for the seed bank. If you're on land where you have a permit that they can do that, all of our work needs to be permitted. Mm -hmm. All of our collections are above board. We get permission from the landowners and from, you know, any regulatory agencies if we're working with um, federally or state endangered plants. I got you. And so give us an example of a genera that was not represented. Um, one that we recently added was NEMA. We didn't just didn't have any NEMA collections. Um, and that's probably just because when I'm out, I, I don't typically see huge populations of NEMA. It's usually a couple here and there, and it's maybe sort of easy to walk past. So that might have been a reason why we don't have any NEMA. But I know, um, what was it? There was another one I was very surprised about. Oh, never mind. That's not a genus. I, I just realized last year we didn't have any Ambrosia demosa in the seed bank. And I just laughed at that because it's such a common plant in the desert. We spend so much time in the desert. And I just thought that was so silly that we didn't have any Ambrosia demosa. Maybe nobody wanted to collect it because it's got those spiky little burrs and it was right. a little bit annoying. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, we already had uh, a poison oak collection in the in the seed bank. So somebody dealt with that. So it's just it's interesting what what um, what can kind of be overlapped, yeah, where the gaps are. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We are speaking today with Cheryl Berker, Seed Conservation Program Manager at the California Botanic Garden. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week, one of my big takeaways from these conversations with Naomi and Cheryl, way beyond the needs or seeds of just the California floristic province, is the fruitfulness of collaboration. Plants model this in just about everything they do, from rooting to shooting to flowering to seeding. In a time of such great division, the work of CalBG and all their associates is built on collaboration with the plants, with one another, 
between regional agencies and indeed across the globe in efforts to identify and know and conserve some of our most valuable allies, plants, through their seeds. I would like to think that this is one of the great lessons our gardens give to us as gardeners, that we are as well better collaborators, better seers as it were, that we are better collaborators, better seers as it were, of larger needs, concerns, and pathways forward. But I know, too, this is my hope rather than the reality, and many gardeners, perhaps myself included, have even greater collaborative skills to learn, practice, and master. I will think on this, and I hope you will join me in this thinking. If there were one or two changes or growth areas we could make in our own gardening or with our gardens to be better collaborators in this world, what would those be? And have you by chance noticed that conservation and conversation are anagrams of one another? There is an unexpected and poetic gift in that, my friends. We're back now to our conversation with Cheryl Berker, Seed Conservation Program Manager at the California Botanic Garden in Claremont, California. It is home to the largest seed bank of plants of the California Floristic Province. As we come back, Cheryl describes for us a day in the field, monitoring and collecting seeds for adding to the seed bank and its collaborative efforts across the globe. Describe for us a day of collecting. Like, des- describe for for you know listeners what your last day in the field making collections. What it like? How did it go? Describe it to us. Um, the last day I spent in the field was down at the Algodon Dunes um, in Imperial County. It's this huge dune system in California, and it's it's absolutely beautiful out there. Um, and it's really interesting. There's a lot of OHV activity, and there are very, very, very rare plants that grow out there. And so we were targeting a couple of rare plants in the area, and we wanted to, since it's such a large dune area, we actually wanted to target multiple populations of these rare plants from across the range on the dunes. And it's amazing the difference. There are some areas of the dunes that are open to OHV area or OHV activity. And that was a little bit nerve wracking to be hiking around in these dunes surrounded by like these off highway vehicle, you know, dune buggies and dirt bikes. And, um, you know, we didn't quite fit in. People were looking at us a little weird, like, where's your dune buggy? What are you doing? Um, And those areas are, it's pretty much just sand. And then these little pockets of plants that have somehow survived um, through all that activity. And then we went over to the area that is actually protected as wilderness. And there are these massive populations and so much diversity, all of these plants. And so seeing that contrast was it was um, definitely eye-opening, um, and and just the importance of those wilderness areas, those protected areas, for actually protecting those those rare plants, or else they would definitely be wiped out by human activity. Um, 
the last day I was in the field, it was still pretty cool out there um, and it had rained recently. So hiking around on those dunes wasn't too difficult, but we probably put in a good, um, I would say 15, 18 miles over two days, three days in the field. So it's a little bit of hiking on, on dunes that can be a little exhausting, but um, we haven't been down there um, you know, we had actually scouted a couple populations that we weren't able to return to because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're actually going to be missing those populations this year. And hopefully we can go down next year yeah. to make those collections because we didn't want to um, travel too far during um, the safer at home order. That's not really not recommended. We also can't fit two people in a vehicle safely. So um, a lot of our work has been um, put on hold, really, or postponed until next year because of the pandemic, right. unfortunately. So you didn't make any collections that day. You were doing reconnaissance for plants you were hoping to collect from later and get a sense of when the seed might be ripe. We we did. We made a couple seed collections Ooh, and then also did them. scouting. Okay, good. Oh, yes. <laughs> So let's see. The the really exciting one that we made was Helianthus nivius subspecies tephrodes. Mm-hmm. This is a very rare plant. It's this it's this sunflower that grows out. It has these very connescent, you know, white silvery leaves, and it grows out on these dunes. Um, it's a very very pretty plant and very very rare. And we actually made a couple conservation seed collections of that species from across the range, which is really great. That one had never been seed banked before. Um, we also, while we were down there, we also added, um, we added a, an additional population to our collection of Croton wigginsii, which is um, another rare plant that occurs in the area. We had a, made a very small collection the year before, but wanted to go out and make a larger one from a different population. Um, and then the, the plant that we were surveying for that we were going to collect later was this astragalus. Um, it's astragalus magdalene pearsonii. And that one is, is federally endangered. It's, it's extremely rare. And we have some, some collections in the seed bank already, but we wanted to, ideally we would have collections from all of the populations, especially because they're so threatened by OHV use. And so hopefully we can, we can do that another year. Okay. And when you, okay, so you, uh, you see the helianthus population, you see that it has some seed set and ripe. And so, or maybe does it have to be completely ripe and tell us how you actually collect it? And then how do you store that back at the seed bank? Right. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot that goes into, you know, making uh, a conservation seed collection. I mean, so, so two of the, the main concerns, one is that we want to make sure we're having our actions have the least possible impact on wild populations. So we want to make sure we're not doing anything to trample these plants or over collect. We have very strict protocol in place to make sure we're not over collecting the seeds. We want to make sure there's still seeds on these plants so it can continue to, to reproduce in the wild. Um, and then, you know, we need to make sure we have all the proper permits in place. Um, and a lot of times a seed collection will take multiple trips. We'll go out um, first to scout the populations, 
um, de determine the proper identification and also make herbarium voucher okay. specimens. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, describe that. Yeah, describe yes, that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so an herbarium is a it's essentially a museum of plant specimens. So you can take a sample of a plant, you know, pieces of the plant usually should include um, identifiable features like flowers and fruits, leaves, and you can press that between corrugates, dry it, and mount it on acid-free paper. And that specimen will be around, you know, well beyond your lifetime. And so we have this herbarium here at the garden that has over 1.2 million specimens, and it's essentially a museum of plant specimens and, and records, like proof that these plants exist in these places. Yeah, yeah. And so do you always try to take an herbarium specimen for a seed collection so that you have both? Yes, okay. it's very important. Um, there occasionally we'll, we won't take an herbarium voucher if it's a very small um, population and we don't want we feel that taking a voucher specimen would be harming mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very important to have these vouchers because um, botany is ever changing. There's so much work that needs to be done and we're constantly discovering new new species or new varieties and things are being lumped together, things are being split apart. We're we're finding, oh, this is actually more related to this, and so we should call it something else. And so down the line, you know, in a hundred years, if someone wants to know the identity of a seed collection, they can go back and look at the herbarium record and make sure this is the, the proper determination mm -hmm. uh, under, under today's standards. Okay. And when you, okay, so yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. I, I interrupted oh, you yeah. for the herbarium specimen. So you, you, oh. you identify the plant, you make sure there's enough to take an herbarium specimen, you make sure there's enough seed that you can take a few and you leave the rest to continue the wild population. What happens from there? Yes, and so this the second main concern with these these collections is that we're trying to make very high quality seed collections. And so that means, you know, we need to make sure first of all that we're we're only collecting from one species, one taxon. Um it's very common in the wild uh, to have different plants in an area that can look very similar, especially when they're in that fruiting stage and their, you know, their flowers are gone and they're all dried up. Um, it's, it can be very common to, to have a mixed bag. So that's why it's very important that the people making the collection are very familiar with the plants in the area and they can be certain they're collecting the right thing and only the right thing. Um, we also need to make sure that the seeds are collected at the right time. It's um, actually harder than it sounds, it is, right? Because yeah, no, yeah. sometimes these plants, we can only access them from a five-hour drive and then a five-hour hike into the top of this mountain, and that's the only place the plant occurs. Um, and so we have to go do that multiple times, right? Once early on when they're flowering to do surveys, to take the herbarium voucher specimens, and then we have to go back, check on the phenology, see if they're fruiting yet. Sometimes it takes three trips to make a single collection to make sure that you have the seeds at the right time. You're not collecting them too early. And then 
The last thing, which is certainly not the least, is that we need to make sure that our conservation seed collections are genetically representative of the source population. And so we want to have as much genetic diversity represented in the collection as possible, which means you can't just sample from like the plants at the bottom of the hill where they're easy to reach or sample from the largest plants that have the most fruits. You know, we're trying to get a, a sample that's um, sampled equally a, across the population. And, and what's more, we also will keep the seeds from each individual separated. So usually we'll be collecting them into their individual coin envelopes. Um, we call that a maternal line collection. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So it's, it's, um, it adds time definitely to the collection, especially in the processing and, and storage part. But um, essentially why we do that is down the line, if you wanted to use that seed collection for a reintroduction project, um, if you have them already separated by maternal line, you could say, grow five plants from each mother and outplant a totally genetically diverse um, and representative um, second population versus if you just have all of your seeds in one bag, you take a sample of it. For all you know, most of those are, are brothers essentially, mm -hmm. right? And they're going to be the, the resulting population. There's going to be inbreeding depression and the, the population won't be able to survive. Gotcha. Thus the joy of biodiversity. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, you know, the world of seed is so, oh, it's just so vast and so interesting and so much I think we don't actually know. Um, and yet there's a lot we do know. I mean, all the different shapes and forms and, um, you know, different methods of dispersal and um, means by which they ripen or go into dormancy. Do you have a couple of favorite seeds you would like to describe for people and why they're your favorites? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I feel like I feel like I definitely have like plants will become my favorite plants because I like their seeds right, now. Right. Oh yeah, me <laughs> too. Some, some plants that I used to like a lot, I decide that I don't like at all because their seeds are hard to work with. <laughs> <laughs> so like an example of that would be manzanita. I love, I used to love manzanitas. They're so beautiful, um, but their seeds are a pain. And now I don't like manzanitas anymore. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love lupins. I think lupins are amazing. Their seeds are so beautiful and they're pretty easy to grow yeah. that has become that's uh, risen on my list because I like the seeds they're nice and easy monkey flowers yeah oh man my boss is gonna hear this she's not gonna like this I don't like monkey flowers anymore because their seeds are so small and they're so hard to work with they're like dust yes she the she described like these dust. to us of her of her favorite <laughs> um so that that's funny that is funny um the uh any particularly unique seed structure or seed pod engineering or artistry that you want to you want to describe for listeners I think there are so many different kinds of seeds a lot of times you know when you just look at a seed you know a sample of seeds in your hand it can sort of look 
you know, maybe just like a bunch of brown specks. But when you actually get it under a microscope, they look so interesting and unique. And we actually have, if you're interested, if anyone's interested in checking out photos of our seed collections, our um, research associate, John McDonald, takes photos, these these great um photos of all of our seed collections and he hosts them on his website it's hasmac.biz um, you can go on the website and view images of of california native seeds which is it's a great resource to have if you are working with california natives and you want to know where what the seeds are supposed to look like um, it can be it can be a really great resource to have those photos but they're so beautiful um, i mean Cercocarpus seeds are so beautiful. I, I, I love Cercocarpus now. And I have this Cercocarpus trascae just outside of the seed house window. Um, and that's a very, very rare plant. It's, it's actually, I think it's one of the rarest trees in North America. It's, um, it's only known from a single population on Catalina Island. There's less than a dozen plants in the wild. And um, we have uh, those we have we do have a, a backup population here at the garden and we have um, seed collections of it but I have this beautiful specimen growing just outside and the, the seeds are you know it's starting to flower and the seeds are kind of come out and I just think a uh, flowering circocarpus a fruiting circocarpus is just the, one of the most beautiful plants yeah and that of course is the uh, uh, one of the mountain mahoganies and its seed has this beautiful and you're going to have to give us the right vocabulary here, Cheryl, but it has this beautiful plume-like uh, uh, attachment to the seed itself to help it disperse in the wind. And as it dries or dehisses, it um, contracts into a little sort of corkscrew shape, if it's like the other circocarpus, this one um, that you're telling us about. And so not only does it kind of blow in the wind, but it then augurs with humidity and wind action into the ground to help it kind of plant itself. It's this like miraculous engineering. And I, another favorite of mine are Castilea seeds. Oh, okay. Um, Indian paintbrush, you know, owl's clover. Castilea seeds are so interesting. They have this like fine netting over them and they, they look plain, you know, from far away, but you get them under a scope and they're so interesting. The uh, okay, well, I'm going to go and look at one of those. I've never ever noticed that. <laughs> that will be a fun one. What is the name of the plume that's on uh, the the seed of a, um, a mountain mahogany? You know, I'm not sure what the what the terminology would be. I would have to look. That I'd up. have to look okay, that up. No I'd worries. be afraid to say anything on no worries. on a radio show and then be wrong. <laughs> I can. I can. We can find it, um, and I'll add it later. Well, I just I I love this work that you're doing. I love the goals of the garden and the passion you clearly have for these goals and these um, this these beautiful kind of iterations of these organisms we love. Um, the potential inside of each one is just, it's kind of mind boggling when you stop and think about it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners about the, the beauty or the importance of this work in your mind? Just, just that, 
you know, this is such important work and it's becoming more and more important as, you know, humanity progresses and these species are are losing their habitats and it's becoming, um, you know, more and more like frantic. We need to get these seed collections. We need to um, we need to store them away in, in these seed banks so that we can conserve them. And I did want to share just one thing as um, sort of good news, uh, something very positive in light of all this uh, negative news uh, of as of late with the global pandemic. But we actually, you know, our, our work has always sort of been limited by funding. You know, it does cost quite a bit of money to be going out to these remote locations, a lot of mileage and man hours to check on these plants and make the collections and process them and store them in the seed bank. And um, so we've always just been trying to seek out whatever funding we possibly can. We've been very lucky in the past to get funding from um, foundations and government agencies and private donors. But just in 2019, um, the state of California actually passed um, a, a bill. We, we now have funding for um, rare seed work in California. So it's called the California Biodiversity Initiative. And there is now funding to make seed collections of the rest of those rarest plants oh, in California. That is such good news. It's it's $3.2 million. <laughs> There's funding for all of these organizations within um, the California Plant Rescue, like I was telling mm -hmm. you about before, mm -hmm. um, to, to be making these seed collections. Um, unfortunately, we've been maybe a little bit hindered by the global pandemic, but hopefully we'll actually be able to do it, make the rest of these seed collections. We also have some funding to make some uh, infrastructure improvements to our seed banks to, to protect this uh, invaluable resource that we're we're protecting. Well, that is very good news indeed, and um, that's a great place to say thank you very much for the work you do and for taking the time to talk with me today. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cheryl Berker is the Seed Conservation Program Manager at the California Botanic Garden, home of the largest seed bank for plants of the California Floristic Province. Join us again next week when we finish our Seed Change series in conversation with Vivian Sansor, heart and head behind the Palestinian Heirloom Seed Library, aiming to bring Palestinian seed heritage back to the dinner table. Vivian writes, The seed, the seed, the seed. For what is it but a continuation of ourselves? Aren't we all seeds? Join us next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listener-supported through CultivatingPlace.com. For many photos of the amazingly beautiful and storied seeds in the collection at the California Botanic Garden, head over to CultivatingPlace.com this week. While you're there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get my weekly bonus notes and you never miss an episode. Seeds are powerful magic plant good ones. Podcasts are powerful magic too. Listen to and share good ones. 
Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Places distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.